It's October 1999, and war has broken out for the second time in just five years in Chechnya. Chechens are only just recovering from the last war of independence with the Russian Federation, where so much of the country was destroyed, including the capital, Grozny. Everything had been flattened, apart from a few buildings. The presidential palace had completely collapsed, and it was weird seeing the bullet-ridden concrete, with its reinforcement bars, all jagged and bent. Now, thousands of civilians are again under fire or fleeing bombs, and there are reports of indiscriminate shelling of civilian areas by Russian forces. Around 200,000 Chechen refugees have been displaced, and many have fled to the mountains in the south to try and get across the border into Georgia. The French newspaper Le Monde reports, These groups would rather go to Georgia, an independent neighbour, than Ingushetia, an ethnic brother and neighbour but a member of the Russian Federation, where the Russian military blocks the border at will. It's an escalating drama. It continues. Getting into Georgia poses problems in itself. It involves crossing an initial snow-covered mountain pass, then sweet-talking one's way past the Georgian border guards before crossing a second pass on the Georgian side, higher still, and which is, it seems, constantly closed. Helicopters are needed to cross it in winter. The risk of attack, robbery and kidnapping has limited MSF's operations in the North Caucasus for nearly two years. All of MSF's international staff left Chechnya after colleagues from the ICRC were murdered just outside the capital, Grozny. The different MSF sections are now assessing their options for getting aid and protection to the Chechens. Dr Jean-Hervé Bradol is operations director at MSF France. His words have been voiced up. Obviously, we knew we were in the firing line, whether we spoke out or not. From the moment we were present, we were exposed. From Moscow's point of view, we were supporting the rebellion. But we were exposed on the Chechen separatist side too. We'd spent enough time with Chechen groups to know how unpredictable and manipulative they could be with major criminal cells in their midst. We thought that our security was completely compromised in such an environment. We weighed up the pros and cons. We knew that there were risks. But the extent of the violence was such that when the war restarted, we decided to intervene anyway, even if we laid ourselves open to serious consequences. We worked as intelligently as we could. MSF is in a difficult situation that raises many questions. Will speaking out hinder access to the people in need, or will it increase the danger for everyone and perhaps make MSF more of a target? Should MSF be speaking out based on refugees' testimonies if there are no operational activities in Chechnya to provide first-hand accounts? And when dealing with a regime in denial of the realities of a war, why is it important to use the word war? Is it even up to MSF to call for this qualification? These are the dilemmas facing the last remaining MSF staff on the ground in the North Caucasus and those in headquarters around the world. I'm Nick Owen. This is Speaking Out, War Crimes and the Politics of Terror in Chechnya, 1994-2004, a podcast by MSF. Episode 3, Advocacy Without Access. Today, we say enough. 
even war as rules. 500 000 civils massés le long de la frontière risquent d'un jour à l'autre d'être repoussés. Stop the bombing of defenseless civilians in Chechnya. There should not be a scientific uh, research for that. We know that those people are dying. During a summit by the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, or OSCE, in November 1999, MSF France publishes an open letter calling on the member countries' heads of state to employ all means available to bring the Russians' indiscriminate bombing to a halt, secure the Chechens' right to flee for safety in Georgia, and assure access for organizations providing aid. The medical coordinator of MSF Holland and both the general director and operations director of MSF Belgium question the relevance of this open letter. They're also unhappy that a decision to publish it has been taken without, according to them, consulting the teams in the field. MSF Belgium's Director of Operations emails MSF Executive Directors, Communications Directors and Operations Directors. It is only now, with more details on the initiative and feedback from the field, that I realise that the form and the timing will match neither our objective of seeking assistance of the vulnerable populations, nor our objective of confronting constructively the local authorities with our opinion. It would just give us the satisfaction at HQ to have spoken out. At the end of the year, Russian forces launch a huge air attack on Grozny and the capital's completely cut off. That week's SITREP, or Situation Report, from the MSF team reads, Russia's military issued an ultimatum on the 5th of December 1999, telling all Chechens to leave Grozny within five days or face an onslaught by artillery and aircraft. An unknown number of civilians remain trapped in Grozny. Russia's migration service said it expected 20,000 to 30,000 people to flee in the next five days. Others, for example the BBC, report that 50,000 civilians are still in the capital. The so-called safe passage is routed to the north, to the Russian-controlled area, not to Ingushetia. International criticism is increasing. But the new Russian Prime Minister, Vladimir Putin, states openly that he believes Western leaders won't act against the Russian campaign. Meanwhile, President Boris Yeltsin reminds the United States that Russia is a nuclear power. Days later, a delegation of MSF members travels to Oslo to receive the Nobel Peace Prize that's been awarded to the organization in, quote, recognition of the organization's pioneering humanitarian work on several continents. The MSF movement's speech, delivered by its international president, James Orbinski, begins with a call to President Yeltsin to stop bombing Chechnya's civilian population. The people of Chechnya and particularly the people of Grozny, today and for more than three months have endured indiscriminate bombing by the Russian army. For them, humanitarian assistance is virtually unknown. It is the sick, the old and the infirm who cannot escape Grozny. While the dignity of people in crisis is so central to the honor that you give us here today. What you acknowledge in us is our particular response to it. I appeal here today to His, Ex to His Excellency, 
the ambassador of Russia, and through him to President Yeltsin, to stop the bombing of defenseless civilians in Chechnya. The news agency AFP reports. Some 100 members of the French humanitarian organization Médecins Sans Frontières, who had just received the Nobel Peace Prize, demonstrated in front of the Russian embassy in Oslo on Friday, protesting against the bombing in Chechnya. Members of MSF, sporting T-shirts blazing Grozny in red across the front, were accompanied by Chechens and members of Amnesty International, a human rights organisation. The organisation gets a lot of media attention, but not everyone within MSF thinks the stunt is a good idea, particularly when there are no programmes running on the ground in Chechnya. On the 13th of December, the Russians closed the border between Chechnya and Georgia, leaving civilians trapped in southern Chechnya between two Russian fronts. It's freezing cold in the mountains and there's no food. Dr Brigitte Vasse, MSF France's emergency coordinator in Georgia, explains her frustration at not being allowed in to help. We couldn't get in. There were people trapped in horrific circumstances, wounded, and we just couldn't get through. The Georgians wouldn't let us. We went to see a minister who was in charge of this affair, but he said that things were tricky with the Russians. From time to time, they reasserted their claim that they weren't flying over Georgia, but we could see their planes going over, and they were bombing everything in sight. In Tbilisi, we prepared a case of medicines that we gave to people crossing the border. We wrote a pile of letters to get access, but nothing worked. Instead, Brigitte and a small team from MSF France helped Chechen refugees in northeastern Georgia. Around 5,000 people made it across the border before it closed. They collect first-hand accounts from 20 Chechen refugees and their families with the aim of evaluating the refugees' situation and collecting information on the welfare of the civilian population within the Republic. Brigitte speaks to the French newspaper Le Monde about what she witnesses there. The refugees cross at Châtilly, a village on the border in the heart of the mountains, at an altitude of around 2,600 metres. MSF plans to set up heated tents there as soon as the weather permits. 4,000 refugees have been taken in by families in the Akhmeta Valley, 100 kilometres south of Châtilly. These people have traditional ties with the Chechens, and they understand each other's languages. The thousand or so others have been put up in creches and schools in the same valley. She continues. They seem far more desperate than during Chechnya's first war between 1994 and 1996, which they now call the Democratic War. They tell us that in the past they could always run to a neighbouring village for safety if theirs was bombed. This time they were bombed relentlessly and they didn't know which way to turn. Many of them seem lost, broken and unable to look to the future. They say that they don't understand why the Russians want to wipe them out. The findings from the Chechen refugees' accounts are published in a report called The Tracking of Civilians. It paints a bleak picture of life for the refugees, noting that, quote, Chechnya is today a trap in which the civilian population wanders around desperately seeking shelter. Half a million people are thought to be still inside Chechnya. MSF does not mince its words in its condemnation of Russia. The report reads, The so-called fight against terrorism 
that Moscow claims to be leading against Chechen bandits, has every appearance of a collective punishment inflicted on the whole of the population. The intensity of the military operation in Chechnya denotes an internal armed conflict, and is therefore under regulation of humanitarian law. Certain practices by the Russian military manifestly contravene these laws and could be qualified as war crimes or crimes against humanity. These issues are the responsibility of the international community. It is imperative that concrete actions be taken to qualify and stop the crimes committed against the Chechen population. It's early January 2000, and it's the United States' turn to chair the UN Security Council for a few months. MSF takes this opportunity to increase public pressure on the nation's leaders. The French and British sections put together an open letter to President Bill Clinton and the US Secretary of State, Madeleine Albright, urging them to convince Russia to stop the war in Chechnya. The letter's published in the New York Times just as Russian forces lead a new offensive in Chechnya. Mr. President, in a recent article in Time magazine, you stated, we have a profound and open disagreement with the Russian government, not on its right to oppose violent Chechen rebels, but on the treatment of refugees. Mr. President and Secretary Albright, while such words against the violence in Chechnya are encouraging, they mean little unless they result in swift improvement of the situation of the Chechen people. You must prevail upon Russia to abide by its obligations under humanitarian law. Médecins Sans Frontières, or Doctors Without Borders, is urgently appealing for an immediate halt to the indiscriminate bombings and attacks on Chechen civilians, safe and unhindered passage for those wanting to leave Chechnya to seek refuge outside of the Republic, including the opening of the Georgian border, which has been impassable due to daily bombing over the past three weeks free and unimpeded humanitarian access to all populations and all areas inside Chechnya and the surrounding republics, as guaranteed under international humanitarian law. We sincerely urge you to give this matter your utmost attention. MSF accuses the Russian forces of committing war crimes and goes on to question why the United States was not addressing the Chechens' fate at the highest possible levels, as it did for the people of Kosovo in 1999. The letter is taken up by many international media outlets. But again, not everyone within MSF is pleased with the open letter. Some think it should have been addressed to the Russian government instead. MSF USA's decision to buy advertising space also provokes some criticism, as this email from MSF International Communications Coordinator Samantha Bolton to colleagues shows. I was shocked to find out that MSF paid around 100,000 US dollars for the page in the New York Times. This was not mentioned anywhere in the communications. I do not think that MSF should be spending that much money on an eyewitness campaign when our ops are very weak and have probably barely even spent in total what you spend on the one ad. Also, this kind of decision goes beyond the US office. No one in ops or in all the sections was aware and nor are the communications directors of all the sections. How much money do you have in your budget for further actions this year? Surely there are other ways of collecting eyewitness statements beyond money. 
For MSF Holland, the priority is to set up programs in Ingushetia on Chechnya's western border and, as soon as it's possible, in Chechnya itself. While the speaking out and lobbying calls are considered necessary, the Dutch section feels they lack legitimacy if they're not backed up by operational activities. Kenny Gluck is a former journalist who's recently been employed by MSF Holland as general coordinator and regional advisor in the North Caucasus for his expertise and network of contacts in the region. He opens an office in the capital of Ingushetia, Nazran, where they recruit a local, experienced team who start organising the distribution of medicines and supplies in hospitals and Chechen refugee camps in the area. Here, Kenny Gluck's words have been voiced up. We wanted to have the programme set up and then start doing advocacy, as opposed to doing advocacy while we were making the first attempts to get into Chechnya. There was a lot of info about Chechnya and the violations of humanitarian law all over the newspapers. There were organisations that were doing advocacy based on what was coming out of Chechnya, like Human Rights Watch. We didn't think that our additional voice, especially without a presence, would change things that much. It was more important to establish ourselves, to get our programmes working, and then to start whatever advocacy strategy we would do. Others at MSF Holland are not convinced by the legitimacy of publishing the refugees' accounts in the Tracking of Civilians report. Michiel Hoffman is an MSF Holland member who later became coordinator for the North Caucasus. Well, there was this big report uh, coming out from MSF France, uh, but at that moment, no one from MSF was on the ground in Chechnya. So, in fact, that whole report was based on taking witness from people that fly from uh, Chechnya to Georgia. And I said that if MSF has no presence on the ground in Chechnya, then I find that too weak. It's a second-hand account, more in the sense of we've heard that rather than we've seen that. The strength of MSF advocacy has always been that we are there and our medics have seen that. That's what makes our advocacy legitimate. And once you do that sort of advocacy, the, which is a bit the same as what MSF was doing with, with regards to North Korea, uh, when we used the, we have heard from refugees, then I say, well, yeah, we've all heard from refugees, but that doesn't mean we have seen it. And that is the part that makes it. So after that, it was decided for Chechnya to get a more systematic approach to this type of advocacy about violence. And it should be based on MSF-employed doctors that have seen a patient with war trauma and take statements from this patient about where this war trauma is coming from. It's now late January 2000. The Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe is due to meet for an emergency debate on the findings from a member's delegation that's recently returned from the North Caucasus. The day before the meeting, the European sections of MSF send an open letter to the heads of the Council's member states. It urges them to officially recognise the state of war in Chechnya and calls upon Russia to respect the international humanitarian law that applies to wars. There is no place in Chechnya today where civilians can be safe, either from indiscriminate attacks or the arbitrary rule currently in force in so-called liberated zones, the letter reads. MSF France Deputy Legal Advisor's words have been voiced up. The only forum we had was the European Council. In the panoply of intergovernmental organisations, it was the only organisation that kept Chechnya on the agenda, from a political, humanitarian and human rights point of view. There were a few active deputies in the Parliamentary Assembly who tried to move things forward, 
but they ran headlong into the European Council's executive. The Secretary-General was under particular pressure from the European Council's ministerial committee. Among the 41 members, the heavyweight players such as France and the United Kingdom adopted a soft line, saying we mustn't get at Russia because of the gas, and so on. They put strategic and economic interests before the situation in Chechnya. But MSF Holland is unhappy with the paragraph calling on Russia to recognise the term war when it comes to Chechnya. In an email to the MSF legal advisor, MSF Holland humanitarian affairs officer writes, No one, including the Russians, has been arguing that because Russia is engaged in anti-terrorist activities only, humanitarian law doesn't apply. So why should we go to great lengths to convince the Council of Europe to state formally that a war is taking place, something they won't do and which isn't necessary for humanitarian law to apply? It is a given that international humanitarian law applies. The problem is that governments aren't taking Russia to task sufficiently for violating it. For us to request this from the European states implies that we feel this is needed for international humanitarian law to apply which we all agree isn't our position. MSF Holland's senior staff also argue that the declaration could be viewed as taking part in a political debate on the legitimacy of a separatist Chechen government, which was a controversial issue in Russian society and its press. In the end, the Dutch section put out the letter without this contentious paragraph. Either way, the Council of Europe refuses to sanction Russia, but it does say that the Russian state violated certain obligations imposed by the European Convention on Human Rights and International Law. It calls for an immediate ceasefire and the initiation of political dialogue with the elected Chechen government. Meanwhile, Russia's foreign affairs minister, Igor Ivanov, gives a speech to the council where he reiterates that Chechnya is neither a conflict nor a war, saying Russia would pursue its anti-terrorist operation right through to the bitter end. The AFP reports. We are only fighting the terrorists in criminal gangs, he claimed, alleging that the use of force by the Russian army was proportional to the situation, given the foreign mercenaries fighting in Chechnya. On the 3rd of February 2000, Russian forces announce they've taken Grozny. They start harassing the wounded and medical staff there and continue to keep humanitarian teams out of the capital. The Russian authorities begin forcing refugees to return to Chechnya in spite of the absence of any planned humanitarian assistance and the fact that the country is still at war. Many report, both Chechens and MSF staff, that the brutality of this second war in Chechnya far outstrips that of the first in the mid-90s. Cities and towns are flattened and half a million people are trapped inside the country. Next time. Throughout the year 2000, MSF seizes every opportunity to raise the war in Chechnya with governments and institutions around the world, but to little concrete effect other than general condemnation. With still no international staff in the country, more MSF sections resort to so-called remote control management, using locally hired employees to deliver aid on the ground. Concerns over the organization's legitimacy in speaking out remain. And soon, one of the sections starts making unauthorised and very dangerous trips over the border into Chechnya. Looking back, some of the things I did send shivers down my spine. 
If I had volunteers, I was ready to take risks to get operations moving again. When you're in that kind of mood, it's difficult keeping things in perspective, and sometimes the right motivations get mixed up with the wrong ones. And under attack in the Russian media, MSF asks itself whether it should ignore or address the accusations of espionage regularly thrown at the organisation. This MSF Speaking Out podcast is based on an original MSF case study called War Crimes and Politics of Terror in Chechnya, 1994-2004. It's written by Lawrence Binet and is part of the Speaking Out case study series, a project by MSF International. This podcast series is written, produced and mixed by Andrea Rangecroft. Interviews are recorded by Lucy Dearlove. Editorial direction is from Nancy Barrett, Laurence Binet, and Rebecca Golden-Timsar. The narrator is Nick Owen. Extracts are read by Didi Bellos and Matthew Wade. The voiceovers are by Mark Fairclough, Clive Hayward, Chris Kellum, and Andrea Rangecroft. The music is by Lost Harmonies and Peter Sandberg. A special thanks to Michiel Hoffman, and Dr. Brigitte Vasset. To read the full case study and discover others, please go to our website, msf.org/speakingout. Thanks for listening. <laughs>